This is Gratitude Unfiltered, and I am your host, Joshua T. Berglund. Man, it's early doing a show right now. It almost feels like morning gratitude. It's 3 o'clock Pacific time, and uh, I am really excited to be coming on with you because I have one of my really, really good friends um, who has come out with a book, What Goes Up by Misty Lane. And um, I got to tell you something. So I get really, really excited when I see my friends like pushing it stepping out of their stepping out of their comfort zone and doing what they feel led to do even when it means embracing something that's dark and scary and like oh my god what are people going to think of me oh my god but no like stepping past that worry of like what <laughs> stepping past that worry of what people are going to think of you stepping past that worry of judgment and stepping and owning your power, owning your dirt, owning your crap, owning the things that hurt you, how you hurt yourself, how you hurt other people. I am inspired by people who do that. And because it shows you, especially when you meet our guest, and I'm really quick, I'm gonna give a shout out to, um, oh my gosh, there's so many, YouTube, Facebook, everyone that's watching live right now, Periscope, Mob Crush, Twitch, DLive, Africa TV, Streamcraft, Picardo, Breakers TV, and Chew, uh, podcast audience, radio audience, thank you guys so much for joining the show. Uh, just a blessing to have you all here. But again, it's I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have our guest. I'm just really grateful for the human being that she is because it takes courage to own your crap. It takes courage to own the, 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 the things that have even happened to you. Like it's one thing to talk about the bad things you've done, but why people hold on to the bad things that have happened to them, I can't figure out. It, it blows my mind. But at the same time, again, I'm just so grateful uh, to have people like her in my life that because it inspires me. It encourages me. It pushes me to make me want to continue being the best man that I can be, but also wanting to unearth if there's something that's hiding, if there's something that's kind of like deep down and dark that maybe I don't want to talk about, having friends like Misty, our next guest on the sh uh, that's coming on the show, it inspires me just to get rid of it because I know by getting rid of that toxic crap, I know what it's going to elevate me to. So ladies and gentlemen, it is a great pleasure for me to introduce to you my friend and author of the book, What Goes Up, ladies and gentlemen, Misty Lane. Wait, where's she at? There you are. What's up, Misty? Hey, Joshua. How you doing? I'm awesome. Living life. You look pretty as always. I love your background. You've got the beautiful crosses there. And how are you today? I'm awesome. Awesome. Good. Living life. Well, so it's been, so your book came out, what, a couple weeks ago? I mean, I know that you got your books in a few weeks ago. What's this, what's this experience been like for you? It's been awesome. I, you know, I carried this book around 12 years. Like you mentioned earlier, I, I had fear of judgment. Too scared to release my truth, too, to worry about what other people would think about me. And so to finally get it out there and, and no longer have that over my head, it's just such, it, it's, it, it just feels like such freedom. 
what was the hardest thing for you to put on paper as far as what the book is, what it is for you? Like what to, to, to get to that place where I'm committed to writing this book, what was the one thing that you would say held you back the most from writing the book? Fear. Fear of what? What subject? Fear of seeing in front of me the person that I was. Fear of seeing. What is that person? Well, that person was a lot of things. I mean, I, you know, I was incarcerated when I wrote the book. And so I was in a very deep place. I was in a, a place where I felt defeated. Um, I did. I wasn't suicidal, but I felt guilty for being alive. So I had that whole thing to deal with. I had no no help, no therapy. So writing my story was my therapy. It's what saved my life. Okay. But in writing it, go ahead. But, no. And what was the thing, the one thing that was so hard for you to release? Not the book itself, the subject. What was the one thing that was in the book that gave you the most fear about other people knowing? Probably it's not, I mean, for those of you that don't know my story, I mean, someone was killed behind a cocaine addiction, but I think my biggest fear was letting, letting out the secrets of abortion that I had gone through and hidden and, and chose to ignore myself. That was really hard. And I think, like I said, letting it out on paper was even hard for me. It was hard for me. It was hard for me to let other people know I had done that multiple times. So, Misty, I want to tell you that something like we're friends and the nature of this show is like it's obvious when people are holding back mm -hmm. and people are not standing in their authentic truth. Right. You're, you're kind of like grazing over the surface mm -hmm. and I will end the interview just because I it's bugging me so bad because I know that you're a strong woman. Yeah. And everyone that's watching this show, that will watch this show, that will listen to this show, is not wanting to, to skim. This is gratitude unfiltered. Because I yeah. know you, I know your heart, I know the love that radiates out of you. But right now, you're not doing anyone any favors, including yourself, by being so guarded. So if you want to open up, because you've already put it in the book. Yeah. Well, like, let people have it, because there's a lot of people that don't know who you are. Why'd you write this book? Why were you afraid? You you skimmed over abortion. What does that feel like to you? What does it feel like to live in that much fear? Well, it's, it's a lonely place. It's a lonely, scary, dark place. Um, I, like I said, I think confronting myself has been the hardest journey because I grew up thinking I had it all. I grew up thinking I was on top of the world. I had everybody telling me, you're so strong, you're so strong, you're so successful. But deep down, I knew inside, I didn't measure up to what they thought I was. It was very hard for me to come to terms with that. And then to try to figure out, okay, now that you know, what are you going to do about it? And how are you going to pull yourself and pick yourself up and either live to what they think you should or what or actually more importantly, find out what you want to live up to be and go towards that. Okay. So where, where would you say in your life that look over this, you know, you, you're born, everyone's born into this world and you know, it's, ah, here we got this beautiful baby. We've got a family, everything's hunky dory. When did things shift in your life? I would say 
I noticed this shift with my first marriage right after the adultery set in. I was I had seen the world as I was grew up in a protective life, so I didn't really see the ugly in the world. So for years I thought that the adultery is what catapulted me into this second type of lifestyle I started. But when I look back in writing my book, your, I realized wait, was it your adultery or did he cheat on you? He cheated on me. Okay. And after a 10 year marriage, I found out he had another woman pregnant and it just devastated me. Oh but in writing my book, it went further back because I was in the beauty pageant system growing up and there was a lot of perfectionism that I put on myself. And I learned very, very young, Joshua, the power that winning something gave a person, any competition. So if I would win a pageant, that, that power that I felt, it just like I thrived on it. And I had to have it. It was a competitive thing I had to have. Sure. But what I realized when I started writing my story is that my senior year of high school, I started pulling my eyelashes out to the point I had no eyelashes at all, none on either eye. And that was some type of self-sabotage. I'm not even sure where that came from, why it was there, if it was a rebellion against the, the pageant system, if it was a rebellion against having to live up to everybody else's expectations or what that was about. But so it went back further than that, way further. So yeah, the I, my mom, I, I grew up in the pageant world too, not me personally being in the pageant, but with my mom, um, it's a tough, it's a tough industry because there is a lot of judgment. We have a friend, um, she has a pageants and they do it a little bit different. I, I wish she would, she'll watch eventually, but she does, they have the right idea for pageants, but for the most part, in that pageant world, it's very judgmental, very hard. And then, of course, if you're younger and you have the parents that are watching over you, they're just as brutal as the judges are. Oh, yeah. like, do you fierce. remember what that was like for you? It's fierce. Um, my mother, you know, I love her to death. She's my biggest supporter. But at the same time, she can be the most toxic person in my world. Um, my mother is old school. So she grew up, you don't put your stuff out on the streets. And everything had to look good from the window looking in. Okay. And but not on the inside. As long as you look pretty on the outside, I don't care. Okay, yeah. Close the blinds at night and all hell, you know, whatever happens, happens. What's going on in the house stays in the house. So it just she put pressure on me, but I would say it was more so I was trying to please her. It wasn't her like you hear about these dads with the athletes that just push, 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 push. It wasn't so much that I just wanted to please her. I, I wanted to make her proud of me, whatever. And I felt like if that's how I needed to do it, then that's that's what I strive to do. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah. How would you say the? I, I, I don't know where this question just came from, but how would you say the pageant world how that translated into your relationships with men? Like what kind of impact did it have? Like how did it affect you in dealing with men when you're, when, when you were dating and then when you got married? Well, you know, dating, I always had long-term relationships. I wasn't one to really date around. It seems like when I would get with a guy, I would stay with him pretty, at least a year, even in high school, I always had long-term relationships. And the thing that has hurt me, repeatedly and I just don't understand or get it is you know I've been told you're so beautiful oh my god you're so you're so gorgeous I'm so lucky to be with someone like you but yet they're not loyal to me they cheat on me 
So every time that would happen, I internalize it like, okay, something's wrong with me. I'm not good enough. So I'm not pretty like they say, or I'm not good enough or smart enough or funny enough or whatever it is that what the hell is wrong with me? You're telling me I'm beautiful, but why the hell can't I keep a man here? Lloyd? You know, and that went on. Almost every guy I've ever been with, is, I've had that issue. And some say, well, you intimidate them. It's, it, they're intimidated. Well, that's just bullshit. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't buy into that crap. <laughs> no. <laughs> but did you, so would you self-sabotage a lot of the relationships that you were in because of the self-defeating thoughts? Perhaps. Perhaps, you know, I spent a lot of years blaming everyone else for, for my failed marriages. But now that I've shifted through this whole paradigm of thinking that I've been through, um, you know, I realize I had faults. I had faults as well. I, I have high expectations. I expect a lot from my partner. Um, I say that, but honestly, what I really expect is loyalty, honesty and commitment. And I mean, if I can give it to them, why can't they give it back? You know, why can't I find that one person? If I can give it, why can't someone else? So what I've learned is that I do put a lot of great expectations on on others. And that tends to lead to failure for me. So then they disappoint me. Then I lose respect for them. And then I guess once I've lost respect for them, they feel that. Because I've had one tell me that. You know, I felt like nothing around you because you didn't respect me anymore. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it, it all it all goes together. I, I do want to discuss the, the, the affair that your husband had. Was it something that was ongoing or was it just a, an isolated incident? Like what was going on in your relationship when all of this happened? Well, I was working very hard to get into medical school. It's, I'd wanted to be a surgeon since age 13. So I was very driven, always very driven and focused. Um, he worked out of town a lot and I was just na either naive or didn't, didn't want to know. Um, the signs were there, but it wasn't until I actually found some phone numbers on a hotel bill when I was unpacking his bag that it was real to me. And even then, Joshua, here's the thing. Here's the thing that gets me about ourselves, like my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Being in the pageants, you think, oh, she's got it all going for her. But I think she's so beautiful, la, la. But inside, I didn't feel beautiful. I didn't feel beautiful. So when I found these numbers, of course, you know, I'm pretty <laughs> – aggressive straightforward kind of leo italian woman so <laughs> oh yeah so i called the number and i talked to her and come to find out he had been seeing it was multiple women throughout our marriage and gotten one pregnant she actually lost the baby on christmas eve and i was pregnant with my second daughter during the time um but it 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 brings such a I, a sadness, I guess, is what I'm looking for. It was a sadness to realize that my life wasn't what I thought it was. I thought I had the perfect marriage. I thought, you know, we had the perfect family, raising our daughters, uh, you know, towards trekking towards medical school. Everything was working out great. But it was another facade. It was another picturesque thing looking through the frame. In the inside, apparently, it wasn't. It wasn't that. So. Yeah. I, I asked the question just because it's, you know, I think a lot of women take the blame for men cheating yeah. and, and they personalize it. And it's not something to take personal. I mean, I can't tell anyone how to feel, but I was a cheater. 
in the worst kind of ways. I mean, but I, I didn't love myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't like the person I was with. Didn't want to be there. Also was unwilling to be honest about the, what I wanted, what I desired, what I thought I want. But then again, that changed with the wind anyway. Like, oh, yeah. I, it, 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 like but what you just said, I've heard from women before. Like, I thought everything was perfect. I thought everything was wonderful. And then I'm thinking to myself, how many times did you say, Will you just pay attention to me? And I blew you off. Yeah. And because I'm, you know, in my own head with all of the other bull crap that's going on. And it and it hurts me to hear you say that because it it takes me back to the times that I've had these conversations with exes. Yeah. And you know, and and I can't say it enough that it wasn't about you. It was about me. And it doesn't and meaning in a very selfish, narcissistic, awful way, yeah. it was about me. Yeah. And but it's it's funny. I don't not not funny. I I don't know if that even really helps them, because I think as humans we personalize everything so much, yeah. not understanding it's really not about us. How did you work through? the hurt of, of the betrayal? Honestly, cocaine got me through it. <laughs> I'm just, hey, I'm telling, that's, that's when I met my new best friend. The one thing- You're not endorsing was, cocaine on the show, people. The We're one not. thing that was loyal to me was cocaine. I found my loyalty. And for 10 years, I depended on it for everything. And so I numbed myself and never really had to deal with it until it all came to a head and I was landed in prison facing a 40 year sentence thinking, what the hell, how did I get here? Who is this person in the mirror? You know, and then I had to just, that's we, when I started speaking. Misty. Hmm? I, it see, but this is the amazing thing. I, mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but here you are just, and we all know you as just this ray of sunshine full of love <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't just adore you. And here you are facing 40 years in prison. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the choices that we make are just, and how quickly it can happen. Wow. Happened on the side of the road. And I, I say this, I say respect your moments of choice because they become your lifetime of decisions. And it's true because I was on the side of the road on the way to a Dallas Cowboys football game with a guy that I was dating. And it didn't matter the caliber of guy, any guy that, that thought I was pretty and funny and smart, I was all over it. You know, it didn't matter what kind of crap he was. If he was into me, I was all about it, right? <laughs> so, you know, I was with this guy and he pulled out cocaine. And I was 30 years old, Joshua, 30 years old. I'd been hit by a drunk driver at age 15. So I was very anti-drugs. I was a goody goody in school. I was that, you know, girl they made fun of because I wouldn't get high. You know, I, I was just such a little prude. But I showed them all, let me tell you. So on the side of the road, I decided I didn't give that choice enough time because I was vulnerable. I was depressed. I just didn't care anymore. And I thought, well, I did everything right for 10 years in my marriage and that got me nowhere. So now let me see what it's like on the other side of the tracks. And I made that choice to try that line of cocaine. And I mean, that's all it took for me. It took that one time to show my mind. It, what it did for me is it freed me of all that, 
I no longer had to churn and analyze why, 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 why. It just, it went away. But like the book, What Goes Up, the thing is, the problem with that, Joshua, is once that how wears off, when we come down, we're all those things that we were before, but now we're an addict too. So now we've just compounded it. So, you know, that started a whole nother, whole nother series of issues. And I really quick for the new audience that just joined on all of the different platforms, I just want to give a shout out really quick. Robert, always good to see you, buddy. Teresa, good to see you. Darian, always good to see my friend. Vanna, great to see you. Wait, men are programmed to procreate. They see women who looks like they can bear children, and that's all she wrote. If she's a weak individual. <laughs> True. Um, let's see who else is here. Uh, I want to say hi to. And again, there's people that will watch on all different platforms. You, you guys, the best thing, again, to the new audiences, you can comment and we can see it all on this platform. So you can join the conversation. Uh, most of the people here are from Facebook, facebook.com slash gratitude unfiltered. Welcome to the show. Radio audience, you can join the conversation over there. We are talking to the author, my friend, Misty Lane, What Goes Up, an amazing story. Uh, but this book, you can buy it on Amazon, right? Okay. Yeah, you guys check this out. This story is not what you think. I'm looking at, I'm like looking at you going, hey, will you like, you know, you look like you're just, just like this sweet, wonderful woman that I know. And what I've read of the book so far, I'm like, I don't know that woman. Like, what the heck? It's unbelievable. I think my family thought they sure didn't know me. Oh my God. So, okay, now you're in this car and you're seeing cocaine. And instead of taking that five seconds to let your, 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 your brain kick in, you're like, okay. And then you do cocaine. I did it. And it changed my world. It changed a lot of people's worlds. Because it doesn't affect me, it affected the people around me too. That decision, that one moment of choice affected many lives. So it started uh, started an addiction. And then as any addiction will, it will progress. And so that progressed into crack cocaine. Well, I'd never smoked cigarettes, wasn't a coffee drinker. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to get addicted to things because I don't have that, you know, I don't have that hereditary trait. Well, huh. Yeah, okay. So I had to learn how to get the smoke in my lungs because I had never smoked. So that was a, a challenge, and I'm a perfectionist, so I had to get it just right. By the time I had gotten that technique down, I was a full-blown crack addict. And I mean, I'm talking, I couldn't go, in at that stage, at that point in my life, I couldn't go two hours without taking a hit. That progressed to where every five minutes, I couldn't put it down. Couldn't put it down. In medical school, in medical school, a beauty pageant contestant winner, <laughs> all the way to a Dallas Cowboys game, I do my first bump of cocaine off to the races. At 30 years old. Mm -hmm. oh. Mother of two. What was it? What was, were you, were you in pain at that time or were you just not thinking? No, I was hurt. I was yeah. hurt. I was devastated. Yeah, I was, I was lost trying to, I, I, like you said earlier, I, it was my fault. You yeah. know, I, I figured I wasn't good enough for him. So he cheated. And you know, the thing too, that which really gets me, and I've heard it more than once from guys is, oh, it didn't mean anything. It was just sex. I love you. Well, what the heck? Does that mean I can go do it too then? And it doesn't mean anything, but oh no, turn it around on the guy. It's a whole other thing. Well, cause that means the, the ego's there. Um, yeah. It, no, I, it, I, 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 those words have come out of my mouth. And, and you're right. When it shifts, it's like, 
Well, depends. Because if you say that when, if you, someone said that to me when I was on drugs, they'd be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Can I walk? But, <laughs> but uh, that's completely inappropriate, but that was the truth. Mm-hmm. And, but then, but then when it ha- when you're sober and then you, then you find out that your girlfriend or your wife or whoever went and slept with someone else, oh my God, it hurts. What yeah. if, what if he was better than me? What if, like, oh my God, she's going to leave me for him and blah, 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 blah. I mean, but then you internalize all that and then you're off doing it again. That's it's the thing. just weak. It's weak monkey brain is all it is. And it's dumb. It's selfish. It's not right. No, it's not. It, it's normal life. I mean, it happens. You know, we're all human. I, I've made mistakes as well. I mean, you know, I, it, it all comes around. It's just I think we have to learn what we're what we are willing to put up with and set our boundaries and know ourselves what is what I told my last husband. I said, look, you know, the thing about the whole porn addiction, that's another thing that's killing marriages right now, too. You know, I told him, look, you do what you want to do, because me dictating to you what I want you to do is not going to do anything but make you have resentment towards me. What I have to figure out is what do I want to put up with? Do I want to be with someone that has a porn addiction? Do I want to be with someone that gives everything to porn and leaves nothing for me? I mean, is that the kind of person I want to be with? So ultimately, I shifted the blame from him having a porn addiction to me choosing to stay with that kind of person. Yeah. So that's, that's really what it is. And, and that is where you get to accept responsibility because you become an enabler. And here's the thing. And I've talked about boundaries a lot. Once somebody penetrates your boundaries, they own you. Deal yeah. with it until you say, oh, okay, no more. I'm cutting it off. That's right. When you've been on that cycle of emotions with somebody, when they've made you laugh, when they've made you cry, when they've hurt your feelings, when they've charmed you and warmed you, where they've put you on this high of epic proportions yeah. and also the lowest of lows, there is this chemical addiction that kicks in that I, it's worse than crack cocaine. Relationships are just so bad about that. But I want to real quick, Robert, you should. Robert saying he doesn't want to comment at this time. That means you get the comment. And Vanna, why don't what I don't understand is why cheaters just don't be open in relationships. You know what? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to I'm going to answer this question. Yes, Jezebel spirit. Indeed, that really is it. But I want to answer this question. Because I'm going to speak from the person that was a cheater and a narcissist and and everything under the sun. And uh, I mean, I was doing drugs behind girlfriends and wives' backs. I mean, I've done it. it, it there's not much, and I'm not proud of any of it. But I want to answer this question specifically. Men think that they. And I want to speak from terms of in a. Let's let's go with marriage for a second, because I I don't want to endorse going out and having sex with everybody that walks. I'm not gonna get go there. In the context of marriage, men are so scared to talk about those dirty, kinky little things that they wanna do, that they fantasize about, that they think about, and they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't, I really, really want this, but I, I, that's my wife and I don't, she's the mother of my children. I don't, I don't want her to do that. Or, or they're afraid to say, hey, I want you to, put this here or do that there or any of that stuff. I'm trying to keep this as PG as possible, but it's fear and they're not willing to be honest. For me, battling my sexuality, not knowing if I was bisexual or straight, 
that caused a lot of lying, a lot of cheating, a lot of sneaking around and doing drugs, all of that stuff. Like I just compounded the issue, but in the end, it all goes back to, we are not willing to be honest with who we are, what we want, and what our expectations are. We don't set that up from the beginning. And then the problem is if we're not honest with it up front, it becomes so much harder a year, two years, three years, four years down the line. But in the end, it's being too immature to be honest. That's all it is. And here's what I know about women, and you guys can send me all the hate mail you want. But if you give a woman 80% of your best, men, like listen up, men, give a woman 80% of your best. I promise you she'll give you the world. And I know that that women deserve 100% and all of that stuff, but they're so used to getting about 40 to 50% that 80 seems like they've won the lottery. I'm just saying. And it's going to change. Um, eventually, men are going to have to step it up and like give it their all all the time. But women are so used to being suppressed and held down, pushed aside, have me dinner on the table by five, and then shut up. That's pretty much what it was. what life was like. This is your role in the house. Deal with it. Well, now what? Guess what? Women are CEOs. Women are you know, yeah. women are stepping into their power and they're owning it. So they're going, you know what? You better treat me like a woman, boy. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. But if a man just steps up and gives any effort, a woman, that is in her nature to provide that for you. Yes. Am, I, am I wrong? No. And I think, too, Joshua, another thing about it is if, if you get married before you have children, you know, you're you're in one mindset in the, in the section you know, in the bedroom, you're one way. But after for me, after I became a mom, I did change because I was in mom mode. I was in protection mode. I was in nurture mode. I wasn't you know, that by the time I got in bed at 10 at night from running around with two kids, I was exhausted, yeah. you know, and. He wanted sex all the time. I was like, oh, my gosh, are you freaking kidding me right now? <laughs> you know, so but I think it shifts on us, too. But I think another thing that, that men need to realize about women is we're just as kinky. We like things, too, you know, but there's a time and a place. It can't always be on demand when you have kids in the house. I mean, we brought the kids in the world. We need to do what we need to do to, to raise them the way we feel we need to. And, you know, locking the bedroom door you know, while they're still awake or whatever for sex, I just didn't feel like it was appropriate. So. And, 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 and men sometimes deal with rejection like little boys, but it sounds like you were married to a little boy essentially that had the emotional mature, you know, he wasn't emotionally mature. So that's why he was on vacation. He's like, Oh, here's an opportunity. I can get away with it. Oh, yeah. um, not thinking of anyone but himself. And again, I'm not passing judgment because I've been that guy. I just know how horribly, irresponsible and selfish and narcissistic and abusive and just wrong it is because God, if we don't, it, the, the consequences of our actions, it doesn't stop at the person you hurt because so Misty, and I, I want you to comment on this, please, but you get cheated on, you find out about it. It's got to devastate you, right? So here you are devastated, but now you've got to show up as a mother. And I don't care what you say, no matter that cheating on broke your heart, it affected how you were with your children. Maybe you were a little bit less patient. 
Maybe you said something because you were so hurting inside, but you didn't want your kids to know. So you maybe you took something out on your kids. The ripple effect of the consequences of our actions create ripples that can go on for generations. It's a problem. So it's not just, oh, I didn't love that girl. I just, if she was, I love you. I just banged her. Okay, that may be cute and all, but the consequences for your monkey brain, for my monkey brain, were, well, they've stayed with me for a lifetime. And the ripple effect of hurt and pain that I've got to, that I've caused, that doesn't go away. No matter how much good I do in the world, I still did those things. And the pain that I caused others and the ripple effect from that has gone on. And I can only pray that that they were able to heal from it. Is well, this for you? Well, I know he he did love me and, and still does. We, we get along. We talk today. You know, I've forgiven him. He's forgiven me because I've, I've done a, a lot of crap through my addiction, you know, as well. And so... You know, even when I when I went to rehab, he even and I found out I was pregnant with my son by another man, my the one that I went to domestic abuse with, and that's a whole nother story. He um he wanted to build a house and raise that kid as his. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Well, I love you. This is all my fault. I just want you to come back. I'm like, but you hurt me. I don't I don't love you like that anymore. I love you as the father of my kids, but that part's gone. You ruined it. You know, you don't just get you don't get to have it both ways. That's right. And so, but the thing I was going to say is you take it one step deeper when you talk about the cheating and how that makes you feel. And you're already down. Like for me, I'm already carrying all this baggage with me. Now I'm in this cocaine addiction and I end up with my drug dealer. Again, it doesn't matter the caliber of guy. They think we're great. We're all about it. Well, at least I was. So I'm well, with my cocaine, the mattress looks good. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, you talk about earlier, you said the charm, you know, he was the most, this is my son's father, and he was the most charming person. We got along beautifully. We had so much fun together. And I thought that was the person that I was with until about four months in the relationship and he broke my notes and it came out of nowhere. Had no idea he was like that. Never been around that before. And you want to talk about what that makes you feel like. I felt this big. I wanted to hide behind anything I could because I was ashamed. Uh, you know, like people were judging me for it, you know, and it was horrible. But what he would do, he would have such an insane, jealous rages. I mean, hospital scrubs. I had to wear shirts under them because he was so scared someone would see down my shirt. If I bend over just right at 30 degrees, you know, turn my head this way, you know, they might see down my shirt. So, I mean, he controlled everything about me and insanely jealous. And the, and the cocaine was part of that paranoia. You know, it makes you extremely paranoid. But I opened the mini blinds in the kitchen above the kitchen sink. He thought it was a signal for me to have the neighbor come on over and get some. And I'm like, well, what do you, why did you marry me if you think I'm just giving it away like that? You know, but it was his own hang up that he would just beat the crap out of me and come back and, and want to be taking care of me. And would be, you know, the best caretaker ever, you know, of what he had created, which I think was his own, you know, control thing. But then he would use the drug for me because we would be off the drug two, three months and I'd kick him out because he was, you know what. And so he would hit me. 
I would have a black eye, swollen up, shut. So I'd kick him out. He would leave. Two, three hours later, he would always come back with drugs because he knew I was in pain. So he controlled me by giving me the pain. Then he brought me the antidote to relieve the pain, which got him back in the door of the house. So now that we're back out doing drugs again, he's still in. He's not out anymore because he's, he's there providing me with the drugs. So it was this vicious, horrible cycle that I completely got lost in. I didn't know what kind of music I liked. And I found all this out in jail after I was separated from him. I'm like, people would ask me, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. I, I, I was so used to him telling me what I ate. You know, I, I didn't know anymore. I'd lost me. I was gone. I, that Misty wasn't there anymore. The person that I saw in the mirror, I was scared of her. I was scared of that person. Oh, I remember though. Oh yeah. The the mirror looks being strung out and just going, what kind of monster are you? Exactly. And just give me more. And oh. that's why I wrote this, Joshua. Honestly, that's why my book is so raw in the truth is because I did not know when you're in an addiction, the the level of things you will do for your drug. You hear all the time, you'll do anything or you'll prostitute. But when people need to know it's beyond that, you will do anything for your drug, anything. And I did things I thought I could never do, Joshua. And people need to hear that. If they want to go out to a party and get high, they need to know what the hell they're signing up for. They need to be educated. Because it's not pretty out there on those streets. It's not pretty. Not a pretty world. It's dangerous. Oh man, these comments are just amazing, um, and you're getting so much support. I, yeah, you're, and and man, that that addiction and that because it feels like you get to a point, and this is the thing that I want people to truly know, and you're an example of this. Is you think you know hell and then you go into deeper hell and then you think okay you know what i'm not getting out of this so i'm just going to go deeper and it gets to this point where it's like you know i may not try to cut my wrist but i'm going to do so many drugs that i'm either going to numb out and my heart's going to stop my head's going to explode or uh whatever but i mean it just gets there yeah but i want to tell you like this this matters because everything you're talking about Prostitution, prostituting yourself is like the cupcake version of how dark it can go. Because oh, there's, yeah. there's way darker things than prostituting yourself that you can do for to drugs or to try to escape your misery. I promise. Like, we don't need to go into it now because I don't want to trigger a bunch of people and either for you. But I want to tell you, and you were an example of this, that it's never too late to turn your life around. It's never too late when you feel that urge to go... God, I just want to get high right now so bad. I want the phone oh, meth and I can just, I can, I can, I can just start having sex and I can just, I can let go of all of it. I can let go of all of it. I can escape this madness. Exactly. Say no to it one time. Say no, walk away from it and then build from there. But I promise you, it's not too late to turn your life around until that time that you give in to that voice and then you die. Yeah. You're playing with fire. There's no such thing as one more time when you're playing Russian roulette with your life. And there's a lot of people out there that are hurting. And this is why I'm so freaking proud of you, Misty, is because you put some stuff in that book, 
some stuff I haven't even got to yet, but you put yeah. some stuff in that book that I know that people can relate to because there's a lot of people hurting. But this is how, the way that you're using this is how not only do you set yourself free, but you set other people free. And ultimately, that's what this is about. Exactly. It doesn't matter how dark or how tame you think your life is, you have something inside you that is waiting to bless someone's life and set them free. Because not everyone's going to relate to your story or mine. Yeah. This is, I, I, I'm so proud of you, Misty. Thank you, Joshua. So, okay, let's go back to okay. so I say thing about this. the shift. So you go, you're in jail now, and, 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 and it's as about as dark as it gets. Talk to us about your experience in jail, what that was like from you, and probably the thing that the biggest thing that you've learned from being in jail. <laughs> well, I, I landed in jail after being attacked and robbed, and I lost control of my car. I had a car wreck. Someone got killed. Someone got hit, knocked under a house, and got killed. So I went to jail in a town I was not from, um, small little country town. And I had a lot of people threaten me. Um, it was in a drug neighborhood. So the word on the streets was that this was a drug deal gone bad and I killed her. She just was standing in her yard. I didn't even see her. I, I couldn't have stopped my car if I had. I was sliding out of control. But that was the word on the street. So I had people, I got threats all the time. People saying they were going to give me a hot shot, which is a shot of heroin in your arm when I was asleep. They had to move me into isolation. They had to move me into isolation to protect me. Because people, her family was coming after me, and I was petrified. I mean, I wasn't. This wasn't my life, <laughs> you know. I was, I was petrified. But what I was good at doing was putting on this great show of strength. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, I was scared to death. You know, I was scared to death. But on the outside, I, you know. But it's really the whole thing, the way it worked with God. I don't know how much time we had, Joshua. But it's a beautiful orchestrated ballet that God was doing the whole time. Um, I love how he works that way. <laughs> because in the middle of the night, my jail cell opened up and a lady came in crying. She was drunk. And I gave her a T-shirt, some boxers. I gave her some food I had from commissary. And I sat up with her for about three hours. Talking. It was like two in the morning. And in the morning when the bars opened up and we went to general population where everybody was, everybody's just pointing their fingers at us. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We looked at each other like, what are we supposed to fight? Who are you? What's going on? And then they're like, that's the lady that killed your wife. And she's like, that lady killed my wife? She's a nice lady. And I'm like, the lady had told me that her wife, that she, she was crying because she said her lover had gotten killed, that she had cancer, and she had been suicidal three times, and that she missed her so much that she was glad she was out of her pain. So what that did, what that how she even got in there and put in my cell to begin with is a mystery. But what that did for me personally was I, I told myself, okay, my belief growing up is if you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. That's just my belief. So I said, oh, my gosh, I just saved her soul because she was suicidal. She was in a lot of pain. And in turn, she saved my life. So now this lady found out she wasn't killed in a drug deal. It was an accident. Now I have found out the one thread of something I could wake up to every morning and not feel guilty for being alive anymore. It gave me that little bit of thread to hold on to and build on. And that's when I started realizing, you know what? There's a positive in every freaking thing out there. There is. We just have to find it. 
We have to find what the positive is and we have to monopolize it and use it. Because even in death, there was a positive there. So that's that to me, that's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> I, I, I can just smile because that is beautiful. God, he's beautiful. Just gave the definition of, of gratitude unfiltered. <laughs> it's, and you know what? And how I got here, I'm going to take it one more step. How I got here, September 18th was the day I married my first husband that ended in adultery, broke my heart. September 18th is the day that the wreck happened and I killed someone. Okay. When I got out of prison, because I was facing 40 years, out of, out of writing this book in, in jail, my prosecutor got wind of it and came and saw me, which is unheard of. You, your prosecutor don't talk to you. He's like, what is happening? This is not your life. You don't belong here. And I said, I do belong here. I killed someone. He said, Misty, what happened to you? Tell me what's going on. He said, we're going to get you help. So he went back to the judge and reduced my charge from vehicular homicide, which carried 40 years, to negligent homicide, which carried five. So I did two years in prison, three on paper. So I was very, very, very blessed once again by God. And so I'm out rebuilding my life now over the last you know, however many years. And my daughter called me and said, Mom, I'm pregnant. My oldest daughter, she's pregnant with my first grandbaby, and she was due September 18th. So I'm thinking, wow, God's replacing a life with the life I stole. The beautiful, beautiful thing. And then my daughter goes into labor, and something happens, and my grandbaby was born completely blue and suffered an oxygen deprivation for about 20 minutes. So Eliana doesn't suffer cry. She's blind, and she's deaf. She has a feeding tube. She doesn't regulate her temperature. She goes from 93 degrees to 100 in one day's time. For the first few months of her life, when I held her, I didn't feel a connection. I didn't feel a connection, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then finally it hit me one day that I was letting the freaking devil convince me that she was my punishment, that that was all my fault, Joshua, that this was my fault because September 18th could not be a coincidence. So I let the devil steal my joy. And so what I say to people is don't let your past rob you of your future because it doesn't own you anymore. It doesn't. You can't let it. You have to break free from it and be a better person so you can go help that person that's still stuck in their mess. You have to rise up above it. Pull yourself out of it and get out there and help somebody with it and quit wallowing in it. And that's what I did. This is why I love you so much. <laughs> I couldn't help it. You just hit me. <laughs> I. It's so funny because I always joke around. Like, <clears throat> I mean, like I most people would never assume any of the stuff about me. Of course, now I look like a serial killer because I shave my head and all that stuff. But I mean, like I like people are like, "What? No, that didn't happen." <laughs> I, well, I mean, I I can't have that reaction because I lived it. But it, it it's funny because like I look at you and like as long as I've known you, it's just there's always joy and happiness and there's this love and there's this peace. There has to be. And then you got this crazy freaking story, this life, and yet it's so powerful because no one would ever expect this from you. And especially because you chose to use this now to bless other people. Absolutely. I, just, I, I can't thank you enough for that. 
because it's not easy. I didn't even know it was my destiny until last April. I have a career in nuclear medicine and I love my career. I, I love it. Um, but last April, Dr. V, I was at a conference and he said, you got a book. Why aren't you doing something with it? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I was too scared of the judgment. And he's like, you know, you need to be telling people what you've been through because that's how you're going to help them. And I just never thought of it. And then all of a sudden it was like God started laying yellow brick yellow bricks down and formed my yellow brick road and every time i tried to procrastinate every time misty said no i'm scared i'm not going to do it god's like oh yes you are <laughs> here's another brick misty <laughs> follow the bricks <laughs> you know so it's like it's my destiny and i feel it and once i shifted my mind and really understood and learned like this habitude warrior conference i was at in houston with don Fawcett and chris salem that's when I learned, like, actually, it sunk in that it's not about me anymore. It's not. It's not about me. If, if It has to be about the person that's still in it. I've survived it. I'm done with it. It's yeah. not going to own me anymore. That's but right. now it's power. It's priceless knowledge. It is priceless knowledge that I can get out there and help somebody else so they don't have to go through it. They don't have to kill someone. They don't have to get killed in the process. They can start identifying what void they're trying to fill up before it gets to that point. And that's my mission right there. I'm, I'm just, I'm all about it. And, and why not be happy? Look at me. Shoot, I have, I've been through hell and back, man. And I'm, I'm a survivor. I am strong. So why not be happy about that? I would like to correct you about being a survivor. You're a thriver. I am you a thriver. Really are. You are. I am. I um, am. I own it because I am. And my kids, I'm, I'm blessed. You know, my kids are right alongside me, if not pushing me into this. And I was worried how they would feel if they would be ready for it. All three of them, Lauren, Amber, and Austin, are all amazing. And that's another thing I realized is everything I went through, Joshua, and everything that I pulled my kids through with me, it has left them strong, independent, resilient, armored to face life with whatever the heck is thrown at them. And look at look at my grandbaby Eliana. My daughter is a superhero. Those of you might she's been interviewed with Lauren Harris before. I think some of you might know her, but my daughter is a freaking superhero. And she's the strongest person I know. And I believe that whole thing has been orchestrated because Lauren needed to be strong because Eliana was on the way. And it might have been a crappy way to get her strong, but that child has endured hell and back, and she's tough, you know. So, like I said, you have to find the positive in it. There's a lot of ugliness there, but there's always something silver. A silver lining is there. Find it and monopolize it. Yeah. I, um, I just, I think you're a gift. Um, you're a blessing. I... The fact that I get to call you a friend is yeah. an honor to me. I love you. And yeah, right, guys, uh, again, and I need you to put the link for Amazon in the comments, if you don't mind. But you guys, what goes up? Misty Lane. And here's the thing. Everything that she discussed today, it's not even half of it. <laughs> so much, there's so much more. But the point is this. You want to buy this book because I think it's going to hit a home. Women, women. 
I think for you, it's going to hit home because I think you've experienced some very similar experiences. And, and if you can look where Misty's at today, where she's at, just, just light beaming out of every crevice of her body. But then also men, I think we get to pay attention to this too because we get to learn how we've shown up and how maybe we've been in relationships or marriages. And we can learn a lot from this book as well. So uh, Misty's the real deal. Like she's a gift. I don't have I don't have any phonies in my life, and I have I I'm so blessed to say that I have nothing but world changers in my community of people. And Misty, you are right there at the top, my love. I I'm so grateful for you. Awesome. Thank you. I love you too. All right. Thank you for being on the show. I'll see Thank you soon. Bye, everybody. Okay. I don't ask for people to share videos very often, but share the video. Like, come on, this book, her message needs to get out. So you guys, please tag somebody, please share the video. Uh, no matter what platform you're on, please share. Support Misty and what she's doing because her story, I mean, that impacted me and I knew it. <laughs> so I think it had an impact on you based on these uh, based on these comments. God bless all you guys for joining. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining. Rhonda. Always good to see you. Darian, always good to see you, my friend. Vanna, uh, great to see you. And Ed, good to see you, my friend. Thank you guys, everyone, for the comments. Join the shares, all of it. Robert Booker, wherever you disappeared to, good to see you. God bless, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I'm actually going to do another show later. So kudos to Misty. She's a true warrior. She is a blessing. She's a gift. And I'm, again, blessed to call her a friend. So you guys follow her, check her out. She's up to a lot of good things. Go vote for her on the next Impactor competition too. Probably shouldn't do that because I know a lot of you guys are, what's up, Patrick? You guys, I know a lot of you are in the competition, but I'm supporting Misty. Anyway, go vote for Misty. Love you guys. Bye.